0: If you'd like to give us any feedback, please send your emails to anopenlettertoyou at gmail.com.
1: But you know me by a different, much older name. A name perhaps you'd you'd never hear again. I am...
2: Dave. Dave,
0: All right, this is Dave, and this podcast that you're listening to is an open letter. We're going to start the podcast off today with some off-the-cuff questions for all of us. So, team, we've got Chad here. Hey, what's up? We've got Matt here. Hey. And we've got Carol. Hello. All right, and Carol's got a nice new haircut. Looks very nice. <laughs> you can't see it on the podcast, Thank so you. Uh, we'll, we'll put a picture on the, uh, the web page on the Facebook page.
1: You think so,
0: huh? Um. Well maybe, if you let me. Alright, so here's a question for you guys. Answer this off the top of
2: your head. Tell me one of your favorite books. Didn't we already do this one with me?
0: <laughs> yeah, we might have. You said Bible though. So. Yeah, and then
2: you shot it down. Yeah.
0: Well Matt's on, Matt's with me on that one.
2: But you see the there the, was the whole there was a the whole rules of the game at the time Matt.
0: And, then your second favorite book. I already did that. It, it was a good it was it was surprising because it was Steinbeck. Which was... Um, East of Eden. East of Eden, which I was like, my respect went up for him. But I was like, that's, that's not bad, because...
1: So what's your favorite book,
0: then? I, on This one, I'm like you, Carol. Carol doesn't like favorites. Carol <laughs> likes, you know, she has a wide-open heart. She's able to love lots of things <laughs> instead of us people who have favorites. One of my favorite books is called The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss. Uh, I love that book. It's fantasy. Very well done. What about you, Matthew? Um, I'd have to go by
3: genre. Um,
0: It's tough, isn't it?
3: Yeah, The Myth of the Machine by um, Lewis Mumford is a book everyone should read. Um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn's The Gulag Archipelago, um, Hemingway. I could go on. Yes,
0: because you're a big reader. And you like
1: such cheerful stuff. (laughs) That's right. Carol,
0: one one of the books that you really like.
1: This is so hard. I know, but it's just one. I really like the name of the wind too but I'm not going to take that because you already said it yeah um can I say the Chronicles of Narnia yeah I, I the whole I mean, thing absolutely I
0: mean Lewis is brilliant okay. um I love that. Great Divorce also a fabulous book by Lewis
1: Mere Christianity isn't too shabby either
0: Mere Christianity blows my mind I, I like it I think it's very good Matt's kind of giving me a so-so look but that's okay <laughs> that's probably light reading for Matt for me that's heavy reading so um Second question for Off the Cuff. Mm-hmm. Yes, Matthew. That's Axel F. Yeah, that it is. is Axel F. Oh, no. I suddenly picture Eddie Murphy in Detroit smuggling cigarettes.
1: Smuggling, flying wow. out of the back of a semi-truck. And I suddenly wow. pictured Crazy Frog. And, oh,
2: <laughs> I loved that movie.
0: Do you know, with, uh, off the top of your head, do you know who, who was uh, responsible for this? Who made this song? Because I know. Harold Faltermeyer. Off the top of my head, boom, there it is. I don't know, that's worthless, worthless knowledge. Yeah, it's kind of stupid. It's
1: there instead of
0: here. That's, <laughs> apparently. Um, so, name a food you don't like at all. You just would never eat it, hate it.
2: I would say sauerkraut. No, no way, not
0: touching it. Sauerkraut, awesome. Okay, I like sauerkraut. Carol is a food you just, I, I think I know what you're going to say, but...
1: What am I going to say?
0: Well, I thought you'd say mushrooms because you're allergic.
1: Well, that doesn't count. Because I used to like them before I discovered they made me sick.
2: Before you almost died.
1: (laughs) I'm not a big... (laughs) It's true. She had a hitch moment
2: where she
0: was... (laughs) So anyway.
1: I'm not a big fan of organ meats. Like like, liver. Kidneys, liver, brain. I just have a hard time stomaching those.
3: Haven't had brain or Mm. liver. That's why they put them in hot dogs.
0: Oh, I like those though. (laughs) Um, Matt, foods you don't like? Cauliflower. Oh, Really? My mom makes cauliflower, but she puts cheese on all our vegetables, so it's kind of like not even really vegetable anymore.
1: My mom used to make mashed carrots and rutabaga. Oh. And I wasn't a big fan. I'm
0: yeah, still not. I haven't had that I don't want to. <laughs> and mine, I would say, is, and I don't say no to many foods, but I do not like Brussels sprouts. That for me is one. I just, they're always bitter. I don't really like them. So. You class. sound bitter. <laughs> don't get bitter, get better. Uh, right. So one last one off the cuff question real fast. Tell me
2: one of your pet peeves. Oh, okay. Mine's unique. Okay. Oh, really?
0: Yeah.
2: Right. <laughs> okay. You're in a traffic situation, all right? Yeah. You're riding down the street and it's a merge and there's construction or an accident and you let somebody over. Yeah. They don't give me a thank you wave.
0: Oh, the no wave. That's not that unique. I th- see Matt nodding his head. Matt, you're with me on that, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I can't
3: stand that either. That's
2: rude. If I had, like, a dash cam, I think what I would do is I would take the the license plates of these people and not let them through next time. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Hold on. Let me. I'm going to let this guy in. Wait a minute. I have my
0: reference guide. <laughs> right. Let's see how well that works for you. I don't like when I hold the door open for somebody and they don't acknowledge it. They don't even say, thank you. They just trot right in as if, of course, someone opened the door for them. I don't like that. Matthew, do you have a pet peeve? Smartphones. Smartphones in general?
3: Uh, Just people being rude with them. I mean, you know, like you try to talk to someone and they're like, you know, I don't really want to talk. I want to look at Facebook or whatever.
0: Right, right. Now, yeah, it is rude, and it is almost it's weird because it's like becoming a socially acceptable thing.:
1: Carol: Bad spelling and grammar.
0: <laughs> so you can't especially, go on Facebook then.
1: Yeah, well, especially like in doing research or looking up facts online, I come to a website where they have stuff misspelled. I don't believe anything they say.
0: It does ruin some credibility, doesn't it? So now we're going to have to go back to the Facebook page for an open letter and make sure we have nothing misspelled so that Carol believes what we're telling.
2: even <laughs> She talks. must not like my Facebook because it's like, I, I can't tell you how many times I'll put up a status and then realize two days later when I look at it, it's like I spelled that wrong or I used the wrong there. Yeah.
1: Do you it's, go back and edit it? Uh,
2: if I can, but you can't always do that from your phone. No, you That's
0: can't. True. I've tried that and then... Yeah, especially when you're replying to a comment, you can't edit that. Right. Yeah, so no, we, we're starting off kind of light today because the topic is a little heavier. Um, in light of recent circumstances, we've decided to talk about kind of what's been happening in the West Michigan area and a little bit beyond that. And so today we're going to be kind of talking about violence, uh, modern violence, really. So last week, Saturday, I believe it was... Uh, There was an incident that happened about 45 minutes from here in Kalamazoo. And I just want to go over some of the facts um, that I was looking up today. Uh, We're a week after this has happened, so some of the stuff, the story's starting to come out as it always does. So this is what happened. On February 21st in Kalamazoo, Michigan, which is only about a 45-minute drive from where we are right now, Uh, Reports say that uh, Jason Brian Dalton, who is a 45-year-old married man, father of two, and an insurance salesman, left his home, and earlier in the day on Saturday, he visited a gun dealer to buy a heavy-duty jacket. He's a regular at the store. The employees knew him. They say he was pleasant, talking, laughing, says he even hugged one of the employees. Later in the day, apparently um, Jason also moonlights as an Uber driver. I'm sure 90% of you know what Uber is. If you don't... Uber is a way, it's kind of like a taxi service, but just regular people can do it through their smartphones and get a, and get a ride, especially if they've, you know, been drinking or something. It's quite popular. About 5.30, last Saturday, he picked up a passenger, a guy by the name of Matt Mellon, according to uh, you know, the stories I saw online, and Jason, or Mr. Dalton, started driving very erratically. He was running red lights. He was going about 80 miles an hour to even sideswiped a car. Matt begged to be let out. Obviously, he was very uncomfortable. Uh, Jason refused. Finally, Jason does stop. Matt jumps out as soon as it's safe to do so, and immediately calls the police. And his fiance even posts some things on Facebook about, "Hey, there's this guy out here. He's very unsafe. If you see this car, you know, please, you know, call, you know, call the police right away." But sometime, not exactly sure when, um, Mr. Dalton switched cars. So by the time the police are out looking for this guy, they're looking for the wrong vehicle. Around 6 o'clock, he pulls up to a playground where a woman named Tiana Carruthers is watching her children and some other children playing. The car pulls up to the playground. Apparently, Tiana goes up to the car, and Jason starts asking some, something about a Missy or a Misty he's looking for, and then apparently pulls out a gun and starts shooting. Uh, Tiana is hit multiple times, and I, from the stories I read, she was trying to shield the children. Tiana is going to be fine from what I've read. Her injuries were not life-threatening. None of the kids were hit, but the police found about 15 bullet casings at the playground. A couple hours later, uh, around uh, 10.15, Mr. Dalton pulls into a car dealership, and there is this 53-year-old man named Richard Smith and his uh, 17-year-old son Tyler. Apparently, they're looking for a car, and uh, Mr. Dalton pulls up and shoots and kills both Richard and Tyler. And about 15 minutes later, he pulls into a Cracker Barrel down in Kalamazoo, and he shoots four women and a teenager. Uh, the women was Dorothy Brown, who's was 74, Barbara Hawthorne, who's 68, Mary Lou Nye, is 62, and I, I think it's probably her sister Mary Jo Nye, who was 60. Teenager by the name of Abigail Koff. She was pronounced dead at the scene until she squeezed her mother's hand. I was uh, reading that earlier today, and I can tell you that that choked me up a little bit cuz I have four kids as I've mentioned I can't even imagine being at the scene where your daughter has been shot one of your children you're holding their hand thinking they're dead and all of a sudden you feel a squeeze I mean that's I can't even imagine what that's what that's like and apparently Abigail knew Barbara Hawthorne very well and called her Grandma Barb and they were apparently having a late dinner at Cracker Barrel and out enjoying themselves about uh, midnight um, Mr. Dalton picked up a man named Derek who, from the reports I saw on Wood TV's website, did not want to give his last name. And Mr. Dalton didn't harm him. And, in fact, at one point Derek even joked and asked Derek if you're not the Uber shooter, are you? And uh, he said, no, 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 of course not. And he let Derek off. No problems. No hint of danger or this is a very weird situation. We're not, there's not a lot of information um, from Mr. Dalton as to what he was doing. He has no history of mental illness. Uh, he was a gun fan. He apparently has about 12 rifles at home. I read also today that his wife, you know, obviously not surprisingly, is filing for divorce. The family, his friends, are fairly shocked. Uh, they did say that he seemed down a couple days before doing this last... Uh, uh, Saturday, and uh, so it was around 12:40 in the morning, which would have gone into, uh, gone into Sunday, of course, and that was when they found him and arrested him. He gave no resistance. They said he was very mild-mannered, even-tempered, um, didn't put up any type of a fight, just willingly surrendered. And when as they been talking to him over the last week or so? He just said he, he took people's lives, and apparently he's just very calm and matter-of-fact about it. Um, and then last week. Saturday, so same day, uh, in what is a town Blenden Township, which is over by the Jenison-Hudsonville area, uh, 19-year-old Brent Tyler Williams uh, went into a mobile gas station. It was right around 6 o'clock at night, so it's not even dark out. He goes into the mobile gas station, he's going to rob the place, and he's got a knife. So he goes in the store, and apparently the two clerks run out and a 38-year-old man, who I happen to be related to, uh, gets stabbed. And they apparently uh, Mr. Williams kind of freaked out. It stabs uh, one of my relatives. And uh, I just found this out a couple days ago. Just very weird. And then Mr. Williams fled the scene and called 911 for the person that he stabbed. And then, of course, if you've been uh, paying attention at all to uh, the news on uh, February 25th, there was a shooting in Kansas where about four to seven people had been killed and about as many, about 30 were hurt, and the shooter was using an AK-47 assault rifle. So, wow, a lot of just, it's hard to even know how to comment on stuff like this. And Carol, do you want to comment on that?
1: Well, I was just going to add that um, this area of Jenison where that mobile gas station was held up I guess it's not Jenison, but London Township. That neighborhood is just known for being a super safe area. It was kind of shocking because um, it, we just don't have violent crime in this area. It just doesn't happen, you know.
0: Yeah. So, you know, Matt, we were kind of talking a little bit before, the, uh, before we started the podcast here, and I thought it was interesting, the comments you made about the shooting in Kansas. And you were, you know, obviously being kind of off... Off-handed, there you weren't being serious, but I just, well, I just what were you saying? What were you just kind of recall that conversation?
3: These things have become normal. The shock factor has sort of worn off because they these mass shootings are occurring on a regular basis, um, and in fact, they seem to be. You know, each event seems to inspire other people. It's um, with the media coverage it normalizes the behavior, so that people who are doing it, I mean, I i can't talk to the psychology of these people, to me it's, you know, I can't understand at all what they're thinking, but, you know, with such media coverage it's almost like they normalize the behavior, which encourages it, since we've seen, obviously, an increase in these mass random shootings.
0: Absolutely. And. I intentionally read the names of the victims in Kalamazoo because I wanted to humanize it a little bit, precisely for those reasons that you're saying. And, I mean, if it hadn't happened in Kalamazoo, and if we didn't happen to have a podcast where we could talk about things like this, I wouldn't even have read one article about what happened in Kalamazoo, to be honest with you. That's how common they are. Exactly. The one stabbing, that probably wouldn't have caught my attention that much, other than it's close to home. And again, with the Kalamazoo one, I was like, wow, that's within 30, 40 miles of where I live. That's that's disturbing. The one in Kansas, because it happened so much, doesn't have the impact. I don't know the names of the victim. I don't have relationships with any of them. They're just they're just numbers, and it's another news story because it happened a long way away. And I don't feel good about that, but again, you we obviously can't cry. And uh, I mean, people die all the time, and it not okay, but Matt has some interesting statistics. Do you want to break those out now? Well, I mean,
3: it's important to contextualize you know, violence and death and murder. Um, first of all, despite the fact that there are these mass shootings, um, violent crime is at record lows in the United States.
0: Well Wait a second, wait a second. We're hearing all these reports of things happening, And you're saying they're at record lows?
3: Yeah, if you uh, look at the FBI crime statistics, as I did, um, we're at the lowest point in 40, 50 years. Um, Violent crime rates um, in 2010 were a third of what they were in 1994. Um, So there's a number of reasons for this. There's a lot of debate over why, but um, in terms of your chances of being the Victim of violent crime. This America has never been safer, really.
0: And that's—I mean—it's hard to argue. And I know the type of guy you are. You're not manipulating statistics to get them to say what you want them to say. That's just—those are the numbers. Those are the numbers. So, in the next hour or so, 45 minutes, we want to talk about what's going on. What should our response be? What should our level of concern be in these types of situations? And are there things that we can do? within our lives and within our spectrum of influence and even as we're coming into a political season of elections what should our focus be and especially as believers what's our responsibility I would
3: also like to add that um, the last year 2014 there were 16,121 deaths by homicide in this country and there were 18,893 deaths from um, over the counter pain killers like Advil, Aleve, um, aspirin, um, acetaminophen, etc. So, I mean, we talk a lot about gun violence, but it's important to contextualize in the overall scheme of things that these are relatively small numbers.
0: Right. But being the case, even though they are, because I do think it. it Obviously perspective is always a very good thing to have with these issues, but as we look at that, we go, okay, so you're telling me that more people die from Advil and Aleve and things like that than they do from gun violence. Yes. So are you saying we just shouldn't be concerned about gun violence?
3: Not at all, Um, but we should also be concerned about how many deaths there are from Aleve and Advil and... The fact that more people die from these than guns, but we don't even talk about it, disturbs me, because that's the tw- almost 20,000
0: people. Wow. So, let's, we'll talk about that right off the bat. We've been talking about this for about a week. We're going to talk about this subject, and you brought that up. And I, that's, I don't know, Chad, Carol, have you ever heard anything like that? I mean, are you familiar with those mm-hmm. statistics?
1: Yeah, there's a disgusting amount of death caused by not just over-the-counter drugs, but poorly prescribed medications. It's a huge problem in the medical field.
2: So, Chad, did you were you aware of that? Not to that level. No, I knew those kind of things existed.
0: Well, sure. I mean, I, we, I mean, I know that people overdose on you know medications. Right. I, mean, I know that happens, but to the level, to that level, to the point where it's even more than people being killed by guns. I'm I'm frankly shocked by that.
3: And we're not talking about
0: overdose or suicide. Right. We're not talking about intentionally, hey, I'm trying right. to take my life. This is accidental.
2: Yeah. Like mixed drug interactions?
0: Well, too, I mean,
3: too much ibuprofen or too much aspirin will kill you. Yeah. It causes a renal failure, kidney failure.
0: Yeah. and it's. So here's the big question that I want to start with today, and I don't know the answer to this. Why aren't we talking about that? Why isn't that being put out there?
1: It's not nearly as exciting and it's not addressed by the media
0: but is it not so you know and it's horrible and, and again we don't mean to be we, we're certainly not making light of anything because when someone you love dies when a human life is taken uh, if you will shorter than it was supposed to be taken or sooner than you would have expected it to be taken that always feels tragic right um, unless you feel like they're a really bad person but uh, when, it, when someone you love and care for and have a relationship with that's disturbing, and that's troubling, and that causes a lot of emotion. So, pardon my phrase here, but isn't all death somewhat exciting then? I mean, it's all, shouldn't it all, shouldn't we care?
3: No, some death is much more exciting than others, which is obvious from the media coverage.
0: Absolutely, but why? Um, Why is it more exciting to be killed with a gun than it is by medicine?
3: Well, there's a phrase in the You know, in the industry, if it bleeds, it leads. But people like things that are shocking, that are kind of mysterious. Um, You know, we have a fascination with serial killers if you look at books and movies. Um, So, as a culture, we're fascinated by violence.
0: Why do you think that? And I don't disagree with you. That's actually, uh, we're kind of jumping ahead of the notes, and that's okay. But why are we so fascinated with violence? What is it about violence that draws us in? Because I can tell you, if there would have been a story in Kalamazoo, Kalamazoo, six people died from taking too much aspirin, I don't know what would have got my attention nearly as much as someone driving around in an Uber car shooting people.
1: I think with the shootings, it's somebody intentionally taking someone else's life. Absolutely. With the medications, it's accidental. And it's the person is taking the medication willingly.
0: So we don't care as
1: much? We should care. We should care. And we should be looking into the medical field and the practice of big pharma and prescribing so much medication unnecessarily in this country. It's ridiculous. But it's not as directly intentional. We don't see it as a villain against innocent people. And
0: we like villains, don't we?
1: Villains make for
3: a good story. Um, I will also say that um, there's a financial issue here, which is that people make a lot of money selling these drugs. That matters a lot. So you, you know, if you're selling ibuprofen, you don't want to have it plastered all over the news that it kills so many people.
0: And also I would say that you look on the other side of that is that mm-hmm. you have a lot of money involved with media. And like you said, if it bleeds, it leads. And you need, if you are, um, have a podcast or a magazine or a TV show, you need listeners, you need viewers, you need people digesting your
1: media. I think it's interesting to notice, too, that this tends to be a very American thing. America is known around the world as loving their guns and loving violence. The cowboy, the whole aggressive American is a stereotype around the world. So it really is our culture.
3: Americans are violent people, and we have a violent culture. Um, now this is you know, my historical, an uh, informed historical opinion, but you can trace it back to the Civil War and the end of the Civil War, which was very brutalizing. Um, and after the Civil War, you had a high rate of people who were used to killing at a high rate of firearms and ever since then we have been relatively a very violent culture.
0: So let me ask a question. Is our current culture the most violent humanity has ever known? Not by a long shot. Right. And you don't I'm hopefully that there's nobody mm-hmm. listening who would disagree with, with uh with that with what Matt's saying. This is definitely not the most violent culture humanity's ever known.
1: It's not. However, there's more violence, especially firearm violence, in per capita in the U.S. than there is in other developed countries in the Western world.
0: And now there's a lot, a lot of debate about that, what you just said. And I have heard people explain it away. And you only have to go ahead. You want to have an interesting afternoon, put that on Facebook <laughs> and see people come crawling and they will go and a lot of people just go nuts and
3: that's because people are raised in different cultures I'm from Montana for instance in which everyone owned a gun um, and there is almost no violence or no crime so you know we're talking about very um, different regional um, aspects you know from Chicago to a place like Montana and people from Montana They're pretty particular about their guns. They like their guns and they're not giving them up. But there's not the problems with guns associated with urban areas. So, you know, that's part of where there's a large cultural divide.
0: So why aren't there the problems in in Montana as opposed to the urban areas?
3: Well, studies have shown that people behave badly when they're anonymous. Um, So in Montana, which is sparsely populated, you know everyone. And that creates a culture where people are less likely to misbehave. Um, that being said, and there's just there's tighter communities. People watch out and look out for each other, and I think that people who are disposed to violence are maybe caught earlier. Or it's caught earlier. But that being said, in my hometown of Lewistown, Montana, 20 years ago or so, there was a mass shooting in, oh, really? which, in which several people I knew were killed. Wow, it was very rare. But I think that, you know, made up basically almost all the homicides in the state for the year. Wow.
0: Carol, you had a comment on something there?
1: I was just going to agree on the difference in culture because I come from a suburb of Chicago that my parents moved to when I was three because the neighborhood they were living in downtown was becoming too dangerous. And I can remember the first time I saw a guy walking towards me, downtown Chicago, holding a gun in his hand with blood all over him and how terrified I was. How old were you? Mm, probably about fourteen. Wow. Yeah, I, it's not a good feeling.
0: No, I can't imagine. That's got to be one of the scariest things that I could even imagine encountering. Yeah.
1: And a friend of mine and I had a knife pulled on us once, and yeah, it, it's it's really a terrifying feeling.
0: Yeah, I've, I'm fortunate. I've really not had, an, a, what I would call a very violent encounter in my life.
1: I, so I'm not saying that. I'm not blaming it on guns. I'm not saying that. America is more violent because of guns. I think that's right. I think it is a whole cultural thing. I think it is the American culture, and this is just how we're perceived as being aggressive and violent.
0: So here's, and here's the thing, too, is again, we talk about this a lot. There's two ditches to fall into in this issue, and as far as when you talk about guns since we brought them up. And one of them is to say, hey, we need to take all the guns away. We need to take all the guns away. Shouldn't have guns. We're not saying that at this podcast. We don't think that's a valid or viable solution. And then there's the other side that just says we need, we need more people with guns. We need more people carrying. We need to be able to open carry. and We need to have guns, and more people should have them. Now, I think those are two ditches. I think both of those extremes are wrong.
3: I couldn't agree more. Being from Montana and literally being taught to shoot from the time I was three and being very proficient with firearms, there is nothing, and I'm Very pro-gun in many ways. Um, But there's nothing more dangerous than someone who doesn't know how to use one. And fortunately, most of these mass shooters can't shoot. Or there'd be a lot more
0: death. Well, even I was looking at that story, and this guy, Mr. Dalton, he's at that playground. And I mean, again, forgive the phrasing, but he's just getting warmed up for the night, right? He's got this agenda, he's got this intent. And his first one, he's gone... He's got 15 casings on the ground, and he just kind of hits the leg and arms of this Tina, Tiana Carruthers. So, I mean, he's, he's 15 shots, and he's barely hitting anything.
1: The problem with guns is that there are a lot of automatic weapons that shoot very quickly, and people have access to these. And if somebody is a, has a bad aim with a knife, they might, you know, nick you in the elbow or something. But if somebody has bad aim with an AK-47... They're going to yeah. shoot a lot of people.
0: Well, I, I, may, I, I just wanted to just say, look, we're not saying take away all guns. We're not saying make sure everybody has guns. We feel like there's an answer somewhere in the middle that there has to be, you know, maybe, whether it's more background checks, whatever. I, right. I don't want and that's as far as I want to go with that. So, Carol, I understand that you, you are not, uh, you're not a gun guy. or You're a gun girl. Not at all. So, Carol. Yes. you have talked to me before you're not someone who likes guns no I'm not why don't you like guns
1: <laughs> I'm not a big fan of violence of any kind and I also have a history of mental illness in my family and I think it would be incredibly dangerous to have that powerful of a weapon accessible in my home so I would never have one in my home
0: gotcha Matt you do like guns I was raised with them and so you're a gun fan, obviously?
1: Um, yeah.
3: I mean, I know how to use one. I know how to use one safely. And
1: I don't miss. So what do you... That doesn't good. sound very safe to me. I think it well, is you, Well, actually, if you're in
3: a situation <laughs> where you have to shoot, you have to be worried about the caliber you're shooting, about what's behind you. You know, if you're if you're shooting an intruder, you have to be worried about if there's a house behind you that bolt's going to go through him and hit someone. So there's actually a lot of thought that has to go into proper gun use.
1: Which is why not everyone should have one.
3: Uh, I agree. Someone who doesn't know how to use a gun is just dangerous. But, you know, if you're trained to use a gun, there are certain people we probably want who are trained to know how to use a gun to help keep us safe,
0: you know, like police. Exactly. I mean, there's, again, the, the different sides are, obviously, we don't want to take the guns away from everybody. I'm not advocating that. I'm not advocating we give everybody guns. There's got to be some middle ground, and I don't want to go too deeply into this topic because we could go another three hours about this. The, the,
3: the reality with guns is there's over 300 million guns in this country. They're already out there, they're not going anywhere. So we have a, we have a culture that's saturated with guns. Correct. Yeah. So, and that's, I mean, that's not going to change. But I will say this you don't have guns, you can go to other things like bombs. Um, The worst school killing occurred in Michigan and was a result of the bomb is in the 1920s, I believe. Yeah, it was
0: 1912 in schoolcraft.
3: Yeah, um, you know, Molotov cocktails, gasoline-filled jar. I mean, that can do a lot of damage. So guns, uh, Americans have sort of a fetish with guns from movies, from from media, but they are not the most lethal way to kill people by far.
0: And, And that's really not the point of this podcast, really, is not to go into the big gun debate. Maybe we'll do that a different time, but I want to talk about, so what the broader topic here is violence and this fascination that we have with violence. What is it about Americans that we, and really I think a lot of the civilized world, we seem to be fascinated and we seem to love violence. So what do you think's it's, going on with that?
1: It's definitely more American than all of the civilized world. Well, I, We have a reputation.
0: Do we? Okay. Oh, yeah. And you've traveled internationally. I haven't. Yeah.
1: So, we have a reputation around the world, even in other Western countries.
0: So do you think, I mean, what's going Why? Why? Why, why, do, why do Americans love violence? Violence, especially
3: violent movies, are kind of a fantasy about power and possessing power. And guns kind of represent a tangible object, which gives you extraordinary
2: power. So that's actually, that's a good point. Yeah, it is. And that's something I've never thought of before. It's like, well, yeah. If you imagine yourself losing control of the situation, how do you picture yourself in your fantasy of getting control? You and, pull out a gun.
0: And yeah. what's happened in America with entertainment over the last hundred years?
3: We've had increasing representations of not only deviant criminal, murderous behavior, but just a general increase in graphic violence.
0: And, and we, and Carol and I were talking about this in the way here. Um, you know, we're talking about, well, what's the source? What's, I think it's a fair question to ask. What's feeding this?
3: I don't think there's any question that with mass shootings that the media coverage and the media frenzy has contributed to it. We have gone from a period where there was occasionally a mass shooting to, out, wow, they're happening once a month. And the more you cover it, the more you normalize the behavior.
0: Plus, it also taps in I think as you're talking, I'm thinking, it also taps into this whole idea of power. Because Absolutely. who are the most powerful people in America? The celebrities. The people who get all the airtime face time. Right? I mean, I think that, that I think that. So how can a little that. person get, a, get power? With a gun. And so not just a little person, but a little person who's angry. A little person who's angry can do a lot of damage with a gun. And they can now get their name across
2: the world. So it's about attention.
0: They're a celebrity. I
3: mean, I think some of it absolutely is. I think so. Although some of it, like the one you described in Kalamazoo, just almost defies description. Like how he'd let the last person out. Um, Yeah. There seems to be no psychological coherence. No. Um, And targeting old people just...
0: Old people, young people, men, women... There black, white. Black, white. There was no consistency about who this guy was was going after. And I don't... And that's... I mean, is that just... Are we just talking about plain evil? Well, I mean, we're all evil. But, you know,
3: the fact of the matter is that, you know, seeing depictions of violence on the screen desensitizes you psychologically to it. So you don't really see it, especially when you're talking about children, is, like, real. You... It's almost like fantasy because we have such realistic depictions of violence.
0: And where do you think the most realistic depictions of violence are right now?
3: Well, it started in movies, but now it's just in regular television. I mean, it's. Our, I'm shocked sometimes about how violent everything is. I mean, if you ask like, what it is to be a man, I mean, if you look at TV, being a man means walking around with a gun.
0: Or being able to kick somebody's butt
3: or being a superhero being able to beat someone up. I mean, violence is power and in a lot of ways it's defining masculinity, which is a horrible definition of masculinity.
0: So, we agree that the media is feeding this, but it's but again, there's an appetite out there already because the the consumers don't consume what they don't want because people feel powerless. That's that's an interesting point. We're going to have to dive into that a little bit, I think.
1: I think it's frightening for our future because as this change is taking place things are also becoming more and more accessible and children are younger and younger as they're being exposed to this stuff and becoming desensitized and we were just noticing at the movie theater a couple weeks ago they put a sign out that they're no longer going to allow children under six to be brought into r-rated movies yeah it's it's horrifying to me that that even needs to be a rule why would you want to bring a a very young child into a why would you even want to bring a ten year old into an r rated movie in my opinion that's ridiculous right but children the children that are growing up now are being exposed to more and more graphic violence at a younger and younger age. you and we had, don't know what that's going to do
0: no, we don't because there's we don't know how to how do you study that we have to study what we can observe and it's happening now
3: you know and to be for us to be honest, I mean, I like violent movies do you
0: yeah, sometimes I, I Chad, um, Chad. Chad. Yep.
1: Yeah, I do. So, I don't. Yeah, we know.
3: Well, you're you're the best of us, obviously. <laughs> I agree with that.
2: Could that be a gender thing though? Because the only female
3: doesn't.
1: I, I was just saying in the car on the way over here that I think testosterone definitely plays a role, but I have other issues with violence too. <laughs> well,
0: one of, I can tell you guys, and we talk about what's feeding violence here, is this feeling of power. And uh, I, I, I go back to what you were saying about Montana versus Chicago and the lack of community and getting lost in the number of people where I really don't have to connect with people if I don't want to. I can exist uh, without knowing anybody. And I guess that's possible to do whether in a group, a large group of people or kind of out on your own.
3: Where I grew up, we did not lock our doors. We left the keys of the car in the ignition at all times. You know, it's, people can't even really imagine it. No one would ever break into a home. I mean, you'd be insane to break into a Montana's home. Yeah, well, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're going to shoot them.
0: They're going to be guns. Yeah.
3: So, and, and you'd get a medal for it too. I mean, shooting a house invader would be something that you would be praised for.
0: Well, sure, because you're you're protecting your own, right? You're protecting what's yours. That's why it never happened. But in America, we do. We love the image of the cowboy, the guy in Montana. That would be a great, I mean, it'd be a great story on the news if someone broke in and somebody shoots someone. And yeah, i am like, yeah, that's justice.
1: There are even comics in other countries based on the American cowboy. Oh, well, i sure.
0: Well, I can tell Lucky you.
1: Lucky Luke was a great, a huge series in France. What was? Lucky Luke.
0: I don't know what that is. He's a cowboy. So they like it in France too.
1: He's an American cowboy. They kind of well, yeah, make they fun like
0: of him. It. Oh, they, oh, they're making fun of him. Because he's French. a
1: stereotypical extreme you know, cowboy.
0: Yeah.
3: Now, to go a little broader, we are exporting our culture, not only through our television exactly. shows. That's right. Because in Norway, you know, we have this mass shooting that they never have, and you know, basically our culture is being exported. We are also the number one exporters of weapons, so we sell weapons to other countries. We account for over 30 percent of the weapons industry. Um, second is Russia, um, and then other people way just behind. So we are supplying the entire world with guns, grenades, rocket launchers, artillery, and violent media.
0: We're Tony Stark. We are Tony Stark. Exactly. It's such it's such a complex issue. And I think, okay, we bring this back to being believers. And that's kind of what this podcast is focused around: is what is a believer's response to some of these topics. So, as we talk about that, Carol, you had a great story um, about when you were young, when you were a younger mom.
1: We went to a really small church, pretty conservative, and we were we often got together and hung out together, and our kids played together. And one family um, had a big TV, and the kids were watching something, and mom who owned the home saw. There was French kissing on the TV, and she made them turn off the movie they were watching. I don't know what it was. But that was just unacceptable. So she put in Alien versus Predator.
0: And that is, <laughs> <laughs> and that is a good laughable moment there. But that is all too common. When I was a children's pastor, Chad, you and I used to go to the same church. I remember talking to this little kid, and uh, he's probably second or third grade. Somehow we got talking about the Saw movies, and there was only two or three out at the time. And the kid's like, oh, yeah, I've seen all those. So why is believers? Why do you, I don't get that honestly?
1: I don't get it either. Why
0: are we like I'm upset that they're seeing? Uh, I'm again. I'm not saying like little kids should be seeing like explicit anything, but we seem to be okay with with them someone getting shot. But if there's a woman topless, we lose our mind.
1: Eight-year-old boys, ten-year-old boys, we can't let them see a man showing affection, but we can show them blowing things up and or even mutilating creatures. That's fine,
0: Matt. Chad, do you have thoughts on that? Why, was, why is, in American Christianity, we don't seem to be bothered much by violence. Because we're products of our culture.
3: And our culture, violence is acceptable, especially depictions of it in the media.
0: So, like, I'll, 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 I'll be honest, I went and saw the movie Deadpool last night. And I, I was torn whether I wanted to watch this movie or not.
1: He wouldn't even tell me he was going to see it. I told Matt.
3: I wanted to go, but I was working. And I think that in some sense we have to admit our own hypocrisy around this.
1: Absolutely.
0: That's why I bring it up.
3: Because we, the men here, we all consume this media that we really know is bad. Um, But, you know, I don't really see watching that movie making you a worse person. You know, it, it seems like there's only a small percentage of people who make the leap from watching this media to actually doing something.
0: See, and there's the key right there.
3: Well, right, and that's why we can see an overall huge decrease in violent crime in this country. Again, it's a huge reduction in violent crime, but an increase in these isolated cases of psychologically aberrant people mimicking what they've seen on TV and what they've seen in movies.
1: I think there's also a decrease in compassion. I have a
2: question, because I'm thinking we're kind of being, as you guys described, as the culture that exports violence. We are the culture that represents violence. We're made fun of in France for our cowboy. But the Bible is full of violence. I mean, we had God himself saying, you need to... Utterly eliminate this entire nation, exactly. even their kids and their cows. That is violence, and we, we, we teach the kids the Bible, and the Bible says that. The Bible would be an example of a, of a you
3: know, media with a lot of violence in it.
0: Yeah, it is. I mean, in fact, there is a story in the Old Testament in Judges where a woman takes a tent stake and pounds it through this guy's forehead. Yeah, I, I don't that, remember that what the table. story is, but yeah. it, I mean, there's you're right. I mean, the Bible is full. That was, of, in,
3: that was under the judge Deborah. Yes.
2: Yeah. So what do we do with that? I think that my point, though, real quickly, if you don't mind me saying, go ahead. It isn't then just an American cultural thing; it's a human thing.
1: I just want to say that that was Old Testament, and if you look at the life of Jesus and what he taught, we're supposed to be countercultural.
2: But then, again, the movie, Mel Gibson,
1: The Passion of the Christ, yes. was R-rated. Yeah, because it was disgusting. Because of what they
0: did to Jesus.
3: Right.
1: But did he ever defend himself? Did he ever strike back?
0: Yes.
3: <laughs> he, <did. laughs> he made a whip. He
1: wasn't defending himself, And though.
3: whipped the bankers. Um, and it also says that Christ will return with a bloody sword to take command of
0: the world. So she's shaking her head no.
1: He never taught his followers to do anything like that. He said turn the other cheek.
0: But Matt's right. In Revelation, it does
1: say... That's not us. What isn't us? <laughs>
2: I, think, I, think what, I think my point is this. My point is that the Bible is full of violence and we're teaching it to our kids. It doesn't matter if it's New Testament or Old Testament. Happened to Christ or happened to Paul or happened to David. It's in the Bible... And we tell the kids this is the book that we have to follow.
0: Right. Well, I, I understand your point, but I think what's globally Americans have a, a bigger appetite for violence. There is a humanity to it all. You're right. There is a there is a violent tendency to humanity. And uh, the book *Lord of the Flies*, which is fictional, but I think it captures kind of what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, William Golding, I believe, wrote that.
3: And from a historical perspective, you can look at the Romans. You can look at the Incas, you can look at the Mayans, you could look at the Aztecs, you can... uh, Human beings are violent.
0: We are violent, but does that make it okay? No. No. I don't think it makes it okay. The question is, again, it comes back to as believers, we have... So I have a copy of the Bible right in front of me here. So in this book, Filled with Violence filled with violent acts and people doing violent things is that saying god's endorsing it and saying it's okay
2: i think my point was that it's a human thing not an american you're kind of yeah. defending
0: america there already. yeah i'm saying
1: it's well, not america just is america a wonderful country but you have to acknowledge that it is a very violent culture and it is exporting violence around the world
0: but the interesting thing is like matt said it's actually less violent now than it's ever been
3: This is part of the irony of the whole thing. Statistically speaking, yes, we are at all-time lows in terms of violent crimes. We are exporting massive amounts of weapons to other countries, including countries in the Middle East I don't think we should be exporting them to, um, and media. What seems to be happening is that this media affects a small percentage of people and gives them the idea that it's okay, normal, or it enables them to commit these horrific mass shootings.
0: Here, let me, I'm going to interrupt you just a second here. And here's, here's the thing that, yeah, so we, we have a tendency to go look. There's these people who are being influenced and affected. In America, we do seem to have a greater appetite for violence than other cultures in, America, in the world. We seem to kind of, we're focusing on that. We love it. We're creating the music, the movies, the books, all that stuff that kind of glorify it. But the interesting thing is to go. So first of all, how do we do this? What do we do as a believer? Are we hypocritical about it and say, "Well, no, it's not. It's in the Bible." But you know, and we want to watch the movies, but we're really upset when these things happen, even though we think it's feeding it. But then to think that, well, if you watch a violent movie and you don't become a serial killer, then you weren't affected by it at all. You're not saying that, are you, Matt? Because it certainly has some impact, right?
3: I, you know, I can't really speak to that. In any expert level of opinion, um, I don't really see the majority of the men consume very violent media, and most of them are compassionate, normal, nice guys. I don't. But does know. that
0: mean that it's not impacting them at all? I don't know. Carol?
1: But you earlier stated that it's obvious that media, TV, all the violence, has a psychological desensitizing effect. You're right. I think there's a difference here. <laughs> you,
3: you, you, caught, you, caught, you caught me in a little bit. Of Hold on.
1: That. I don't
2: necessarily think that there is a difference. I think there's a huge difference because he's talking about desensitizing us from what we see, but not desensitizing necessarily our behavior.
1: So when you see somebody that's hurt, how do you know that you're not desensitized? How do you know that you don't feel less compassion for that person because you're so used to seeing acts of violence all the time?
2: Well, that might be so. We might see somebody who's hurt and it may be the result of an act of violence. It isn't that we don't see them as being hurt. We might see them as being hurt. We can tolerate it better because we've seen it so much. We might even notice it more because we've seen it so much. But that does not necessarily mean we're going to go out and do it.
3: tie this in maybe a little bit, I'd like to talk about suicide. Because there's way more suicides than there are homicides or murders. Yeah, And um, I think that part of this goes to, you know, there's a feeling in our culture I, that I think a lot of people are alienated, especially as we seem to be in basically a post-Christian era in this country, or we're definitely entering one. Um, people are disconnected, they feel powerless. Um, so the majority of violence is not directed at other people walking out and shooting random people. It's directed against themselves, as they feel alienated, cut off, and they decide to kill themselves. But suicide, um, I think for people my age, I'm 41, I think is the second leading cause of death.
0: Well, if you, but if you peel the onion back a little bit more on that, Matt, so I think that depending on the psyche of an individual as we are moving farther and farther away from community and really in a place where we feel like we can be authentic, we can really know people and feel like there's a connection. So when there's a lack of connection, I think we can all agree that there's this loneliness, which for some people is going to lead to intense self-hatred, which is going to cause them to take their own lives. And then when you've got a guy like Mr. Dalton down in Kalamazoo, that same type of emotional stimuli is now instead of going to... Because a lot of people will say... And I've heard people say, I wish the guy would have just killed himself. If you're that upset, just kill yourself and be done with it. Don't take other people with you. But some human psyches, when they get that angry, it doesn't get internalized. It gets externalized. And to what extent is that focused and affected by media, I don't know. It's tough to gauge. But some people have that, and now they're going to lash out, and I'm going to take other lives because that's the solution they see.
3: There are are other... Cultures that are just saturated with violence. Uh, Japan being one of the most notable. They make ours look tame. Right. They do not have corresponding homicide rates.
0: Um, Why do you think that is? I didn't know that.
3: I. You know, there's so much contradictory information when you look at all this that it's really hard to tease out. I but mean, but I will I will say that I think that as the church has decreased influence, you see more. We have overall less crime rates. Part of that is we have better... Um, police have better ways of catching people. People are incarcerated for a longer period of time. Right. But when you move away from what was the primary source of community in this country, which was the church, right, you see people who are more alienated. Some of those people go on mass shootings. A lot more of those people commit suicide. The number of suicides in this country is shocking. It is. Um. So... What differentiates us is that we have let go of our traditional form of community, which has been the church and our historic Christian tradition. And what you see is behavior that reflects alienation, feeling of powerlessness, uselessness, self-loathing, self-hatred, and other you know, serious psychological problems.
0: It's a very, like you're saying, it's a very difficult situation. It's a very difficult topic. But I guess as we're, we're heading towards the end of the podcast here, I want to kind of try to start wrapping this up a little bit and go to what is our response as a believer? How do we help affect, because we do. It's just like when we, when we sin, when we do something that's contrary to the will of God, it's going to affect us, sometimes in small ways, sometimes in big ways. And We become desensitized, it, and then the next time we sin, we know it's a little easier to do that. And so that can happen even with this, with the entertainment choices we make. We can say, well, I can watch a movie. It's never made me a serial killer. And, and you weren't saying that, Matt, but people I've heard people say things like that. That's extremely naive. That's, that's, there's no logic to that. But we have to continually be in communion with God and with each other and make choices and try to turn away from things that could be harmful to us.
1: We all know that the mind is where most of our battles are fought. And what we put in our minds and what we, the images, the behaviors that we saturate our minds with, that we see as acceptable, are the things that are going to affect how our mind fights those.
3: I mean, Carol's right. I mean, you know, what you take in, in the media, has effects on your brain, and your psychology. Um, And I also wonder if, you know, a lot of people with suicide and with murder, there is some trauma at some point. And, uh, you know, what the crime statistics don't show is how, is there more child neglect than there was? Um, Are children being traumatized more? Is there a decreased sense of empathy and community because we have become... Isolated by forgoing church to watch movies and media,
0: and who's raising the kids in a lot of cases? Media, yeah, just and know the TV across.
1: is often the babysitter. Yeah,
0: exactly, yeah. exactly. My point. So, it's, so we try to tie these threads together mm-hmm. and go. Okay, so the problem is, is we want to go and say, I okay, we have these problems, so I'm just going to make rules for everybody. I'm going to go to the Word of God and then I'm going to make rules and Matt, I'm going to define and make the rules up of what you should or shouldn't watch or should not shouldn't <laughs> do. But we, we long for that control and then it dips back into that power thing where I now, I'm going to define what being spiritual looks like for you.
1: Just a point I wanted to make, partly with America's reputation as being a so-called Christian nation and also within our country with the numbers of young people that are leaving the church, a lot of times one of the biggest things they accuse the church of is being hypocritical. And I have to think that this plays into that, that it's, it, this is part of that hypocrisy.
0: It is. So what I challenge all of us and I challenge our listeners to do is, okay, we are followers of the man Jesus Christ, right? That is really, we're disciples, we're Christians, And so as we follow him, we have to understand what he says. We have to continually be in communion with him and with each other as we are the body of Christ. So as we try to grapple with this stuff, there aren't easy answers. I can't say to Chad, Chad, you can't go watch this movie because that's sin for you. I can't do that. Although I think there are limits... I mean, personally, I think there's some movies I can't imagine. I don't understand why any believer would want to watch certain movies because there doesn't seem to be anything beneficial to watching those. As Paul says, I can do all things, but are all things beneficial. But
1: that line is drawn in different places for different people.
0: They are. And I didn't think Christians should ever love horror movies. And I have some very good Christian friends that enjoy horror movies. I don't understand that. (laughs) But when you are involved in a
3: church and a church that actually has community, what it's going to do is it's going to balance out your tendencies towards radical or deviant behavior. And that's what community does, is it helps keep our behavior within normal bounds. And we have, in you know, this is my opinion, we have a proliferation of megachurches which lack authentic community, and so those natural checks or balances on your behavior don't exist. When you have an authentic Christian community, if I saw you watching a lot of violent movies and then kind of behaving in an aggressive or hostile manner, I'd say, you know, hey, Dave, I mean, that's not really, that's that's not, right? Right. And so I think that's what we're losing, Mm -hmm. is this Christian, you know, it's it's kind of a break. You know, Christianity, Mm -hmm. Christian community provides a break Uh, something that stops or is you know like a remedy for all the violence and horror that goes on in the world
0: it's impossible to have it's impossible to have growth without community and it's impossible to have checks and balances by yourself and we absolutely i need people in my life so that i'm going down the wrong path i need people to be able to point out to me and go dave this isn't this isn't good for you because I know you and I know your weaknesses and I know what your tendencies are and I love you enough to tell you I can't let you go down that path. Did did Jason Dalton have that? I don't know. I'm guessing not.
3: Most of these people who are mass shooters are socially alienated, um, and almost all you know serial killers are socially alienated, um, and so you know absolute social alienation is an extreme thing and a horrible thing. But if somebody is deprived, really, of all normal human interaction, um, they're going to become deviant. Um, This guy was married, had some kids. I don't know what his deal was. This is a very bizarre thing. I can't understand the psychology. But in general, people who are socially isolated are much more likely to kill someone else or themselves.
0: So to wrap it up, let me just say this. I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you what you should or shouldn't be watching at home or reading or things like that. I'm just saying be mindful about it. Be, be even prayerful about it.
3: Well, that and be in a Christian community, which will help provide checks and balances on your behavior.
0: Exactly, and that's exactly what I was going to say next. So A, with your own private stuff, because you can read and consume whatever you want and no one will ever know, but present that before God. And if you're not a believer, then you can still think: Is this something that's healthy? Is this something that's giving me life and become helping me be the person I want to be? And sometimes it's just mind-numbing, be, you know, entertainment like Full House and whatever. But so try to be more conscious of it. Get involved in a community, right? Get involved in a community that loves you and cares about you. And maybe even if you're an atheist, I listen to this this preacher. And he's ha- a whole bunch of his community, has made his, his congregation is made up of atheists because he says atheists are really bad at community frequently. But we're, you're welcome to borrow our community if you want to. We want you here. So maybe church isn't the answer for you. I'd encourage you to try it. We all go to the church. Get the right church. Go to the church you're called to. If you're hiding in a church, I don't care if it's a mega church. I don't care if it's a small church. You can hide in any church. And if you notice somebody in your life that is struggling and is an outsider and it doesn't seem they have any connections, we have to do a better job of reaching out to these people. you know, Because really, it's all the same thing. They just want someone to care about them and love them and, and to reach out to them and say, you matter. And that is going to help take care of all those things. I don't know if the Jason Dalton situation could have been pre- prevented if someone had reached out to him. I don't know, that might be kind of naive to say that. But as we go through lives and we follow Christ... I think there's some very definite things we can do to impact our world, and even though they may seem small and incremental, we have to do these things. All right, that is an open letter. Thank you for listening today. If you had feedback, we'd love to hear it. We have a Gmail account. It's called an open letter to you. That's the le- the number two, the letter U, an open letter to you at gmail.com. And we have a Facebook page, which is just called an open letter. And we'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.